Okay, um, been sitting here for four or five minutes hanging out with my friend JJ, Jonathan James. How's it going, guys? Welcome, JJ. Uh, glad to have you here today. Yeah, glad to be here. Um, I think we can hear ourselves, so I'm hoping this ends up being okay audio to hang on to and use. So, um, JJ's over and hanging out today. Uh, we're fooling around a little bit in the backyard and, um, I'm uh, bestowing a little weird, uh, funny little mini bike on him, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about that because I'm going to tell you the story of how I got it and where I got it, so you have your full provenance. Because that's like that's all the bill of sale or title of, <laughs> of any kind that you're getting with this is a, a, a bullshit story I'm about to tell you. Well, I think that's all I can expect for free ninety nine. Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> and especially from me. So, um, but I'll tell you that story, and then. Um, I think it was great that uh, when you said you were going to come by and that you'd sit down with me up here, that uh, you remembered our prior conversation about a cool conspiracy. Uh, conspiracy? Uh, urban legend? Urban legend, I think, is probably a better term for it. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. But for the sake of the podcast, we'll call it a conspiracy. It's a fucking serious conspiracy. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's so bad. We're going to tell you all about it. Um and uh, this one that we have a shared uh, reason for a mild interest in anyway. Um, and we can go into that a little bit too. So what I thought we would do is we're about to roll up. And um, if this audio ends up being fine from this session, then I think we'll uh, probably use it as a bonus episode, a session episode. Uh, and this is uh, of a type that I've been planning on doing and wanting to do a lot more anyway, which is... You know, it's never 100% casual to sit in front of a, of a couple of microphones and have a conversation and hang out, but we're going to do the best we can to be casual and have fun, uh, and the weed will help a lot with that. Don't worry about that. Definitely. Um, and <laughs> there we go. And we're about to roll up some Dutch Treat and Pineapple Express uh, together uh, into a nice little uh, cone and uh, see how far that gets us. Um while we talk about uh, these two topics and maybe cover a little bit about, um, you know, how we came to be buddies in the first place and, and uh, some things we're looking forward to in the coming year here. Um, so let's see. I want to bring your level up even a little bit more, JJ. All right. I like you there. And uh, everything else needs to stay down a bit. All right, so, um, would you like for me to just start giving the people kind of an outline of what, uh... Yeah, where'd you come from? How did I meet you again? Oh, uh, yeah, just the background of how we yeah. know each other. Yeah, I think it all started at Slayer. That's right. If I'm not Slayer mistaken. Espresso. No, wait, actually, was it Dirtquake? You're right. I think I, I first yep. met you at Dirtquake. Dirt Dirtquake. There yep. we go. Nice, nice. Some weirdo with a dirt pad. You were really bummed out because it didn't work. Piece of junk dirt pad, I tell you. Oh my god. You were absolutely crestfallen. It was it was not the best way to uh to see yep. Steve Kaminsky Overbuilt. when his bike's not working. Overbuilt, under under engineered. That's a problem. It's <laughs> a problem. No budget. Zero budget. <laughs> so you know, and dirt effect of disaster for racing. Dirtquake is probably deserving of a bonus note of its own. Uh, it it's is such it is. such a deep event uh, and so much fun. But um, the way I we wonder, really got to know each other, though, yeah, yeah. was um, working for Slayer Espresso Machine Company, mm -hmm. which uh, builds 
sweet uh, industrial espresso machines and home machines as well, actually. Um, yeah, so. very cool. Very cool. Uh, like commercial espresso machines, and yeah, the home the home espresso machines are beautiful, but they're like built to a commercial type spec, you know, and they're built by the same people in the same spot. So yeah, yeah. So that's a little outfit down in Georgetown, and um, yeah, we worked there. I worked there for a uh, couple of years. Uh, got to build and test the machines and all of that. So got a lot of great experience. Um, with mechanics and uh, got to make a, a bunch of great friends in the uh, Georgetown area also. Yep. I was down there with you for about a year, I think. Yeah. A little over a year um, down at Slayer. And luckily, um, we worked pretty closely together. Um, and the funny thing is uh, that I would like to point out, if you don't remember this, JJ, I came up with my original idea for this podcast while working at Slayer. Oh, you totally did. Yeah. yeah. You know. That was uh, that was what you were talking about yeah. all the time when you were uh, on your way out the door. Was you like, screw you guys, <laughs> have fun making your freaking espresso machines. I'm gonna make a sweet podcast, <laughs> and here you are doing it. It's actually uh, an amazing. Yep. Well, it's, it's I not know. so amazing. Well, I mean, and you walked right past my 2018 Corvette parked out front, <laughs> too, so obviously shit's happening, you know? You know, I, mean, I like nice cars, but what I really like is knowledge. Let me tell you about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, yeah, so we were highly caffeinated down there at Slayer because we had a couple of operating uh, espresso machines and loads of free coffee, and... Um, I was definitely forming the seeds for this podcast uh, down uh, on the test line and uh, in crating where I spent a lot of time and <laughs> liked, uh, liked my time there. So shout out to all our Slayer friends. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Xavier. Hope Josh, you guys are listening. Fucking Dario. All you knuckleheads. Tanner just followed me on Instagram nice. uh, a couple of weeks ago. And then... Um, I did what I always do, which is instantly alienate him by like, so that morning, <laughs> all right, so straight up, that morning, I'm not even kidding you, you, you couldn't script this, that morning I made a meme about one of those, like, it was like a douchebag dog meme with the fucking sunglasses and the hat, right. did you see it? I oh, posted yeah, it no. on Instagram, it was like, you know, uh, Tanner, 27 years old, still lives with his mother and wants to bicker with you about the price of your weed that he just insulted, you know, that kind <laughs> right, of Right, and trade you for Xanax Exactly, like he wanted yeah. to trade... Trade Xanax for yep. it. Um, so, uh, you know, and I, I don't really think that characterizes Tanner super fairly as a person, but I swear to God, eight hours after I posted that meme, he followed me on Instagram. Oh, and so, wait, he followed you after you posted that? Yes. Oh, okay. And I'm sure he didn't see the post ahead of time. I'm sure he just saw my account. And so did he immediately unfollow you well, after no, that? Well, no, I tagged him. <laughs> I tagged him in that post next. <laughs> you know, uh, and then so then he didn't deign to like it or comment on it. So then I did what I usually do, which is instantly inboxed him and yelled at him for not liking <laughs> my shit. I'm like, what are you doing? That's fucking shit right there for you, you know? <laughs> like, you just followed me. Shout out to you, uh, You know, seriously. And, um... <laughs> He was like, no, I don't, I don't go on Instagram that much. So it's like, I ain't no fucking fun at all. I, get I know I'm gonna make another meme what about you. It's about? not gonna be half as fun as the last one. I'll tell you that right now. Um, Man, we've been friends for how long, and I don't even have a meme about. Me. I know, I know. Well, that was an unintentional Tanner meme. Okay. All right. Um, so he just lucked out on that. He one. could have been. I, I toyed with a couple other names for that meme. Um, that dog really looked like a tanner, all on his own. Uh, all on his own, he just really kind of looked like a tanner. 
uh, what was I? I was like looking, you know, I was fucking with like Cody or some other dumb shit names like that. But, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. So. It's a good, Tanner. It's a good millennial name. Yeah. Um, the one person that I know named Tanner is in fact a millennial. So yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. So check it out. So JJ came over today. He got a, a motorbike that we're about to push out the garage and shove into the back of his uh, Subaru. And it's a little pull start mini bike motorbike. I am not rolling the weed. Yeah, what are you doing, Steve? Well, this is very complicated. <laughs> this shit is easy. So, uh, all I know about this mini yep. bike so far yep. is that it uh, was built by a guy at a lawnmower shop made, you know, basically exclusively from lawnmower parts and, like, I don't know, construction equipment, so, like, the exhaust is, like, stovepipe kind of thing. Like, construction and, surplus. Like, yeah. leftover parts of other things. Yeah, Not right. even like, equipment. Like, if second use was a thing in this guy's town, like, he was totally hitting that up. Um, but, yeah, no, it's got these little tiny, like, got, like, hand truck wheels on it. Um, are they solid rubber? No. No, they have tubes. That's why they get flat. It's oh, great. okay. It's great. Um... No front brake, just a uh, a band rear brake, um, and it's going to be sweet. It I, is going to uh, be sweet. <laughs> now, that is a perfect uh, pit bike anywhere ever, obviously, once right. it's uh, operational. By the way, I had it working the same day I got it, and I paid 50 All right, well, it looks like we had a minor technical there. Um, we'll give the explanation there in just a moment, but it's no big deal. Uh, lost a couple of minutes of the story there on the Doodlebug bike. The Cliff's Notes version of what was lost there when we had the audio drop-off was got the bike for $50 <laughs> in Portland, Oregon. Uh, I want to say it was the Milwaukee uh, neighborhood, um, suburb of Portland. Um, picked up the bike, paid 50 bucks to the family, uh, who told me a little bit about the story of the bike. Their dad had made it. He owned a, a lawnmower repair shop for many years and used to ride it to and from work um, in town on the sidewalks and side streets. Uh, the bike was a little rough, and I had to buy a chain and a spark plug and a pull starter for it. Uh, and a rear tube, uh, spent the better part of the afternoon, um, installing all those parts and, uh, pulling probably a hundred times on the pull starter, uh, at which point it eventually fired up, blew a whole ton of smoke for a while and, uh, then cleared up and, uh, idled happily and, uh, ran amazing. Uh, so, uh, that was funny cause I was able to ride it the same day I got it. Uh, and then I also went on to tell JJ that in attempting to drive home from Portland that same day, I got caught in a torrential rain downpour uh, and just barely getting over the uh, I-5 North Bridge out of Portland back in over to the Washington border. And uh, with all my wipers going gangbusters, uh, high front, high rear, everything, and me squinting through the windshield and, and more or less knowing that I was probably going to end up spending the night at a rest stop on the side of the road, as I'm as this realization is dawning over me, uh, I hear a little toot to my left, 
I look out my driver's side window and look to the left lane next to me, and there's my good buddy Scotty from Seattle, who happened to be also attempting to make his way home uh, back to our neck of the woods from Portland at the same time. We both looked at each other uh, through the rain and, um, you know, made signals of uh, frustration and um, and futility in terms of uh, continuing to drive. And in fact, uh, I-5 was closed for a couple, three days due to flooding due to this um, uh, situation. Um, anyway, fortunately, Scott and a couple of friends maintained a small uh, condo in the Portland area uh, in another small suburbs nearby. Uh, I was able to follow Scott and uh, go back, shelter with him and our buddies for the evening in Portland, got safe, um, stayed safe out of the rain as well, and um, the following afternoon headed out and took an alternate route all the way east and around the mountains uh, to come back over I-90 back into the Seattle area uh, was how we, uh, I think both of us ended up eventually getting home. So, because you couldn't drive up I-5 for the next few days. So, um, you know, went through a little bit of an adventure getting that bike home and, uh, formed a great memory with my friends, uh, hanging out that evening, uh, and telling the story of, uh, picking that bike up then as well. Uh, cause you know, they were all like, what the hell are you doing down here? <laughs> uh, so yeah, anyway, that is mostly the provenance of the Doodlebug bike, which by the way, I can update you. I'll post a picture of this uh, bike when I post the episode for you. But JJ also was able to, upon getting the doodlebug home, uh, and uh, in his case, he um, borrowed the spark plug off of his uh, Z50 mini bike and uh, was able to also get the doodlebug running same day that he took possession of it from me. So Good job, JJ. Well done. I expected nothing less from you, my friend. So, uh, we will return to the story currently in progress. So, no telling. You know, I could go back and, you know, we could play it back to ourselves really quickly and know where we dropped off. But, yeah, um, what'll happen there is obviously in post you guys will figure out that the screen went black and we lost uh recording for maybe a couple minutes um so sorry about that happens sometimes that's didn't podcasting miss anything yeah terribly nothing crazy critical. exactly <laughs> so let's move on to the conspiracy absolutely all right um the agreement so jj and i don't just ride lawnmower bikes <laughs> Um, fair to say our budgets definitely uh, skew us towards a certain class of bikes that being older import jap bikes for the most part as opposed to like we're not buying triumphs and bsas and stuff either because those aren't you know neither are they probably either of our bags but they're not even as numerous or as um affordable at all to get into i wouldn't say for the most part right i've never even ridden a harley there you go uh, there you go just to um, give you a sense of the have i rode one price range 
No, I've only sat on a couple. And I like the wrong Harley, too, that won't make me any friends anywhere. <laughs> um, I like the V-Rod. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Everybody's like, so the Harley the guys will be like, oh, like, whatever, you're, you're not yeah, even a Harley guy. Exactly. And, I'm like, no. and then everyone else is going to be like, oh, you're a freaking Harley guy. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, nobody loves me, as usual. <laughs> oh, my God. But, um, yeah. As, so uh, what do you, what do you still, you still got the Jixer? I still got the Jixer. That okay. is... Uh, my largest offering. You still got homies' uh, other crotch rocket in the garage forever? No, I freaking got that uh, Jixer 1000 back to uh, JB finally. There you go. Good, good job. JB, be careful with that thing. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Let's see. So, um, and then you have the 400. 440. 440, KZ 440. And that was his dirt quake bike originally. Um, it's got a little bit of a cafe treatment going on. You going to ride the mini bike at dirt quake this next time around? You going to do that class? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think I probably just have to bring back the unfinished business, given that there was some dispute as to what place I even got in that oh, race. Oh, wow, naturally. Not, not to mention that uh, I was up against a two-wheel drive KTM, which seems like much too appropriate of a bike to be riding an inappropriate road bike class. That's going to be the same same scene, though. That's not going to get any better. Well, I think the the most modern bike out there last time was an SV650, so I think I, I might be able to hang with that. No, it's and, and I mean, it's a lot to be said for the um, fun factor of that little bit more competitive class of uh, bike anyway. You know, you can right. ride that thing in a field like that and be... Uh, you know, somewhere towards the middle or the front, uh, and those things are going, you know, quite a bit faster than the minis and stuff like that. Yeah, you're doing about probably 50 on the back straight or so. And you are, uh, pretty far leaned over. Mm -hmm. Tail gets a little Mm -hmm. bit lively sometimes. It's, uh, it's a good buzz. So I've done dirt quake a couple times, but I always do it on stupidly slow things that you could ride stock upright all the way through those turns, which I highly recommend everybody. (laughs) That's the way to do it, I'm telling you. Um... All this slidey, slidey, fast, fast, fast stuff will get you. <laughs> It'll get you. Put it that way. It can mess you up in a hurry if yeah. you're not careful. Um, yep. But uh, I like I like fast machines, too. So speaking of fast machines, uh, you know I have a leader bike, of course. I have an older Honda uh, CBR 1000. Uh, the old Hurricanes, which were, they kind of, along with the Ninjas, originally ushered in the... Uh, you know, first era of full plastic uh, glory that was the, you know, crotch rocket era 1.0 that is the modern sport bikes today. Um, and I then, mean, there's kind of some debate as to what is the very first sport bike and where did this whole chain of events leading up to the mm-hmm. agreement, where did that all begin? Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite story, of course, begins with the GSXR 750, since that's the predecessor to my bike. There we go. Um, and so that was 1980. Which, of course, is almost totally irrelevant to the agreement because it was so slow in comparison to the bikes that uh, the agreement is ultimately about. But ultimately no but, but they were a, they were fast in, in their time so mm-hmm. gsxr so they were, they were a, like there's like a 150 mile an hour machine yeah. something like yeah, that right 150 i think yeah maybe 155 somewhere around there so, probably depends yeah, who's riding right it. in there like not not much more than about that but that's ridiculous it's, you know 750 cc's three quarters of a liter and uh you know would do a buck 50 that would put most all cars to shame 
uh, on the street and outrun most of their fifth gears by 20 or 30 miles an hour, you know, enough to really make them look like they're disappearing fast in your front windshield and your car is shrinking really small behind them in their rear views. Um, so at the time. Yeah, you know, so, so it they had... were they were a mess on the road. Like they were a problem for my dad and his RX-7 and the 911 Porsche guys and the Corvette guys and the IROC Camaro guys. Everybody thought they were fast and street racing each other in cars and who were like pretty handily faster than a lot of the motorcycles a lot of the time. These crotch rockets were pretty dumb. And at a totally reasonable price, yep. also. So yep. you could 13. get one of these things for like a tenth of the price of a Porsche, and then totally go out on the street and spank him. Yep. And so thus began all day. the I era like thirty-five miles to the gallon doing it of outrageously affordable and even more outrageously powerful sport bikes um, mm-hmm. that uh, that eventually led to um, to this agreement that we're. Yep. Moving closer to, but uh, there was a whole chain of bikes and uh, just decades of one-upsmanship, actually, that uh, that led to the limitations of the agreement. Yep. So, uh, your bike obviously is one of them. Um, the uh, the Blackbird, I think, was the second to last with a top speed of like what was it, 180 or something like that. Um, yeah. So. Um... As I recall, so there were a, a couple of bikes in the years prior leading into um, the the 1996, I want to say, debut of the Hayabusa. Um, and uh, I had that up on screen earlier, too. I, I might have been 99 because no, the agreement... Is it? Yeah, yeah. The, the thing was out for a year or two. They just didn't want anybody to make anything else worse (laughs) so they had a year or two to stew on it so what what it was was so i'm i'm only sad that i'm not sad i shopped for blackbirds when i was uh looking for my cbr when i found my cbr um i was looking at blackbirds and there was a couple of them kicking around on craigslist that were almost in my price range they were pretty attainable right then um, if I wanted to go like just another like 500 or 1,000 bucks over where I was uh, ended up paying for the CBR. But the CBR had those fucking white wheels and it just looked so good. <laughs> they do pop. Um, and I'm like, you know, who do I think I am anyway, Steve? All these bikes are too fast for me. A Jixxer <laughs> 750 is too fast for me. All these things are too fast for me. What am I even doing with this thing? You know? Um, <laughs> so I ended up I ended up scooping a Hurricane, but the, 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 the successor to the Hurricane was the CBR 1100XX blackbird or super blackbird um and they were like a like 180 mile an hour machine they were pretty damn fast six speed bike um and after a year or two they were fuel injected and suzuki simply could not stand for that yeah so this was already this was already like an escalating thing you know we had ninjas at this point in time we had jixer 1000s i don't think we had we might have had Jixer 1100s or... Yeah, Jixer 1100s. Right, we had a Jixer 1100. Came in, uh, what was it? Yeah, I think in the very late 80s, yeah, 89. Yeah, but what ended up happening like here is they were kind of stagnant engineering-wise for a quick minute with those two bikes. They they came right. out to an early huge lead. The Jixers were nuts. Right. Dual front headlights and bold colors, and they were mean as shit. They were, they they were, were track just bikes numbers with, bikes. Yep, they were track bikes with uh, license plates on them. And yeah, they had like incredible power to weight ratios. They were they were really cool. 
Um, but what everybody did was, since that was the benchmark, they did nothing but try to target them and find ways to beat them. So Kawasaki would throw displacement at them, and by this time, they had like a they had a ZX-12 already, and the ZX-12 was doing 175 miles an hour, 176 miles an hour. Um, it was the fastest bike in the world for a quick minute. Um, my Hurricane, the uh, the, C- the CBR 1000, uh, had it before uh, like the ZX10 came out because even the ZX10 was faster than the um, Hurricane 1000. It was my bike was heavier and all this other stuff. So the Z- the, the Hurricane, uh, my bike was only like 165 mile an hour, 160 mile an hour machine. You know, right? Honda um, didn't seem to be overly concerned with the top speed wars for a long time, and then just like right at the end there, they're they decided to hit us with the Blackbird. Well, so every once in a while they try to like out-engineer everybody, right? So the Blackbird right. was like a big platform for their technology. I think it was one of the first uh, applications for their linked brakes and things right. like that. Um, so they were doing a few cool things on that bike to sh- to prove that they had a you know a Grand Tour and a World Beater, you know. Um, and because the Kawasaki's, I think, were really raw compared to them in terms of you know styling right. and stuff. That yeah, absolutely. You they, look at you look at Blackbirds; they don't get the same bad rap as Hayabusa's do. But really, a Blackbird and a Hayabusa, the silhouette is almost identical. And the reason why both of those bikes is faster than everything else, and we're about to get to the Hayabusa in like two seconds, is not so much a horsepower matter because they were pretty much you know yes, of course, it was also the most powerful at thirteen hundred cc's when it came out. Um, but uh, it was aerodynamics. Yeah. You know, um, that... and, and they were they had been trending this direction, but they, Honda used wind tunnel testing on the Blackbird, and that got it, you know, 10 miles an hour over its last, you know, prior uh, bike from, from Honda's uh, stable, my bike. Um, and uh, everybody else was hitting a wall of wind, and they weren't restyling or looking at how to change that on their bikes, you know, how to get, how to pierce that wind. Suzuki did. They went and I think they uh, invested big in a wind tunnel um, when they did, or they might have borrowed a wind tunnel. Right. Well, they had that whole SRAD generation where they uh, were promising extra horsepower just from the forward-facing ram air ducts that uh, let into your intake right. so you get a little right. bit of extra right. pressure wow. in there yeah. For, yeah. for that one extra horsepower. So Well, Ram Air has always been, you know, everybody's in the quest for that free horsepower. Right. Right. So, but they were going down that route of focusing more on aerodynamics. And so the Blackbird hits, and it does like, I want to say 180. Some people say like 185 or something, but it was, I think it was like 180. Still very fast, very very fast. But Kawasaki, the fastest at the time, um, and that and that supplanted a Kawasaki, the ZX12. It was even faster than the ZX12 Kawasaki. And here's the problem, because the Kawasaki wasn't aerodynamic enough at the time. Um, so the Blackbird there with 100 cc's less was actually faster than the biggest Cowie on the on the streets um, at that uh, moment in time. But then. Suzuki, who was a little bit late to the party and everybody was like, the Jixers are tired and blah blah blah, was like well everybody here's this thing and they called it the Hayabusa and Hayabusa specifically so the launch video to it which I'll include a link for 
in the show notes is really cool. You can watch it on YouTube. They show a, like an early computer-generated animated uh, Peregrine, Peregrine Falcon, uh, like silver, like some Clash of the Titans shit flying in the air, and then he dives into a, like a power dive, like he's going down uh, to catch a blackbird, maybe. <laughs> I haven't actually seen this yeah, video, really so cool video. I should probably. And look so this it's up. like you know introducing the Hayabusa, and it, it morphs into a Hayabusa, and. Um, Maybe it was 99. Maybe it was 99. I think it was 99 because it was 2000. I mean, it's pretty, pretty... Well, let's see. That the effects of the agreement model. began to be felt in new model bikes. Yeah, so the name of the Hayabusa is, is... It's a peregrine falcon, and it's a it's a blackbird hunter and a blackbird eater. So that's, right. the, that's <laughs> the point about that. The whole point is they wanted to kill the blackbird. It did kill the blackbird. It was like over 10 miles an hour faster than the blackbird. Um... I think a couple of tests had it at like the low 190s. There was a widespread, persistent rumor that the motorcycle would do 200 stock right, out of the was, box. That was the legend. You know, uh, uh, take the blinkers off and it'll do 200. <laughs> Run, you know, 17 PSI in the rear and 29 in the front. Right. Do oh, no, it's, it's got to be like 30 degrees you know, Fahrenheit exactly, in order exactly. for the motor to make enough power. But you can do it. <laughs> You know, but as far as I can tell, that was not actually true. Right, but it did like it did like ten miles an hour or more faster than the Blackbird, and that's like putting it like twenty miles an hour or more faster than everything else. Right at that point in time, and it's you know stayed ahead of everything for the next couple of years. It was like four or five years before anything even really came close well nothing nothing to this day really has been i mean you buy a brand new kawasaki h2 right uh even the supercharged motorcycle if you don't buy the track version that's not you know ostensibly streetable is limited to like 196 miles per hour i think it's like 190 they've ratcheted it down yet another couple of miles per hour um you know, Steve, by computer why control. They, why do they do this to us? Well, yeah, exactly. So you can't, yeah, you can't go 200 on a motorcycle. You're not allowed. Uh, and, uh, you know, never mind that Harley can't engineer a motorcycle to go 200 miles an hour. They've had 100 years to do it, and they don't do it. So, um, you know. It's completely separate. Fight issue. me. <laughs> fight me. You fucking, you can't do it. So I don't even want to talk about you guys. So everybody else, though, uh, who... Obviously, has demonstrated by this point in time with Yamaha with their R1s and R6s and Honda with their uh, modern CBRs. You know, everybody can joke whatever they want, but all these bikes are super fast. Um, uh, we have, you know, modern uh, Jixers. We have the Hayabusa. I do believe to this day uh, it, it is a motorcycle that's in the lineup. Um, this is the Gen 2 they're on now. So in all these years, they've only redesigned it once and they only, you know had to to you know stay with the times and the styling of the times i think um i think they did add uh the the new one is a little faster than the old one so it like it is close to that 200 mile an hour mark it does push that 195 range i think it does have a little bit extra horsepower oh it does they got like they got like 20 more horsepower out of the thing or 20 percent more horsepower it's dumb it's like a 200 mile 200 horsepower machines see so we're not you know we're not gonna we're not gonna bother everybody with a, a shitload of specs either because I, I 
I didn't even bother to do that research because I don't even care anymore. I'd rather ride these things and any Hayabusa that I'll ever get to swing a leg over in anger, I'm sure it'll be a Gen 1 uh, <laughs> anytime soon. Uh, you know, and... Um, you know, and I'll and I'm sure I'll just love that to death. I would love to ride it. Um, JJ and I are both big fans of the uh, very famous uh, and very incredible uh, regular car reviews review of the Suzuki Hayabusa on YouTube. Which, if you've never seen that, and if you're not familiar with regular car reviews, if you're any kind of self-respecting gearhead of any stripe whatsoever, I don't care if you build RC model airplanes. Go listen to regular car reviews i literally have subjected my wife to many dozens of hours of regular car reviews of many 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 different cars and a few and more than a few motorcycles because this guy does both uh and uh they're so entertaining that she's never said no don't i don't want to watch another one She'll right. just let me. She'll let me go on that bullshit. Right, I, I put it right up on the big screen. Go to the end of the playlist. I'll watch ones that I've seen before. Mm-hmm. Like it's mm-hmm. it's totally worth a look. So yeah, so there you go. So there's a shout out for a YouTube channel, Regular Car Reviews, um, that I assume they're still doing a few. I think oh yeah, Mister Regular I think they is. Uh, I think he might even be in the middle of a New Zealand tour or something up, like homie? that. What up, Mister Regular? Yeah, big fan. Um, yeah, big fan. Big fan. So. um... So, yeah, so the Hayabusa goes like 200 miles an hour, everybody says. You know, of course they're wrong, but it goes really, really fast. And then we're waiting for somebody to make a motorcycle faster. Somebody made one faster, right? Well, I mean, there are currently several motorcycles which are capable of doing over 200 miles an hour. Um, But there is this common limitation that they all are limited to 300 kilometers an hour, 186 miles an hour. Um, And this is something that's actually kind of common across uh, the automotive industry as well. Like, you'll see a lot of European cars have limiters at 155 miles an hour. Um, And that's not because the vehicles are not capable of going faster than that. It's just because... Now, I'm looking up, making sure what year the Busa did come out for us. I'm trending towards 99, but hang on. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, so, because I'm pointing out that this is still to this day. This is 2018. It's a long time. Yeah. 20 years later. And the booth is so an old girl. These bikes are, you know, on paper, there's plenty of bikes right now that could be faster than 195 miles an hour. Right. Um, and the Kawasaki's that I just mentioned, the H2 and the H3, I think they have an H3. That's the supercharged one. I. I think it's just the H2. Is it H2 R500? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's got a longer name. The one with the longer name uh, you know, doesn't Cowie have the had, Cowie had H2s and H3s back in the day because they weren't weren't those those uh, uh, the two, two strokes, strokes, right? Yeah, exactly. those things were Widow insane. Makers. Uh, <laughs> very cool. Yes, you could argue that that was the beginning because those things, I've never ridden one myself, but I hear they were insane. Uh like 80 horsepower two strokes or something like that weighing like 250 pounds and with frames that are basically spaghetti so yeah so they're still uh, like on the on this first picture i see they're call they're calling it out for 2017 is like 194 miles an hour machine um wait i'm stuck in a photo there we go i thought that was just gonna be this article about it but let's see Debut. 
So, yeah, so my point is, though, JJ, that why wouldn't somebody just make a motorcycle that can go 30 miles an hour faster than that? I mean, we've got giant Ducatis, Panigales that uh, I think they're, they're catching fire right now, too, by the way, oh, those yeah. brand new ones. Um, Super hot. Yeah. <laughs> so hot. <laughs> so hot right now. <laughs> well, the thing is, these motorcycles could, in theory, yeah. go fast. Yeah, why it's don't just, they? They have electronic limitations, so the bike knows how fast it's going, and it's like, uh, you know what? 186 is probably as fast as you need to go. Um, and you can tamper with that. Uh, you can totally upgrade your firmware or whatever it is that's limiting you, um, but that sort of acts as... Uh, well, you voided your warranty, I'll exactly. tell you that. I'll it's, tell you that, bucko. <laughs> it's liability safety warranty, right there. Kiss it goodbye. Your insurance rates, those are going up. So, <laughs> you know, every 10 miles an hour you go faster. Everybody who's on the Hayabusa is like, what's insurance? <laughs> every 10 miles an hour you go faster, you put an order of magnitude more stress on your brakes and all of the components of your motorcycle. And so it's just good insurance for um, for the manufacturers to limit those things and limit the people riding them more uh, more specifically. Well, so you're you're sounding like an apologist for the the agreement conspiracy that we were talking about here now a little bit, just a little bit. Well, I'm um, not apologizing for right. it. I'm just uh, I'm explaining the motive All right, of these so, corporations. But let's to, uh, uh, let's back it up to just restrict far our enough. freedom. <laughs> let's back it up just far enough for the purposes of our friends who are listening to this uh, stoner story. That um, it it became understood at a certain point that the reason why somebody didn't just come along and and issue you know their own gauntlet thrown down to the Hayabusa. Was that very, you know, uh, yes, that set of reasons that JJ just put forward, but that this was <coughs> quietly and um, completely secretly sort of handed down in the form of a, like a polite letter from the Japanese prime minister at the time um, basically saying words to the effect of and the famous quote that I've always seen associated with this is please stop (laughs) so So you know like like, you know we're very proud of you and your achievements and your accomplishments (laughs) your bikes are a credit to the country you know, uh, at the time there legendary, was there was know. no other country producing mm. bikes as fast as the ones coming out of Japan. But please stop. <laughs> and this was sent to all the all the major manufacturers: so Honda, Suzuki, Yamaha, at Kawasaki. The time, Kawasaki. Yeah. Okay. Um. And uh, no one has ever seen. Uh, you know, no no one in the West who's reported on this urban legend has ever seen this letter. Um, but There's we no do copies know, of it online or anything. Right, but yeah, but but it's a very persistent story. Um, we do have some form of that edict still in place to this day. Right, I mean, there's no reason that every manufacturer should choose the exact same limitation for their bike. 
like, given that each one is totally individual, and, uh, yeah, no, it just seems kind of weird that they would all choose the same number and be like, alright, let's just play fair here, guys. Like, that's just not something that you usually see in competitive business. Yep. 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 I mean, and so... Yeah, so to be fair, people were uh, crashing these things, and, you know, they were probably pretty scary to, to see on the roads, and a lot of us in, in fast cars were chasing them. You know, my dad was, you know, I wasn't of age to chase them. I was a kid when these first debuted. The bikes that I'm riding today are bikes that I liked when I was a kid and that I can afford now. Um, but, you know, like I said, you know, all these bikes are too fast for me. My own leader bike uh, a, a mirror also ran not even a fucking honorable mention in this list um from 1990 was doing in the you know in the mid 160s it's a stupid amount of speed back at that time for anybody even, who could have bought it then for five or six grand probably like it today. wasn't that much money you know and today exactly and even today it's still a right potent, that's reckless endangerment you know like, oh you forget are, oh you're going to jail you get caught going that fast like that's it Game going to jail <laughs> Spending the night somewhere, not where, not not at your house though. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't stop. It's my advice. <laughs> ride real good. Ride real, don't look back. Ride real good. <laughs> oh god. So yeah. So so. That's most of the story of the agreement, you guys. It's, there's a secret letter that came from the Prime Minister that supposedly went around to the Big Four and they all chilled out. They all kept making stuff that knocked on that door, but everybody left the Hayabusa more or less alone. Um, you know, and, and even Suzuki ratcheted it back down. So let me look at the wiki. I was going to read the Wikipedia for you, JJ, so we can get okay. a little bit of a you know, because, uh, I mean, whatever. All right, fuck you guys. Wikipedia. Take it or leave it, all right? You're not making this podcast. I am. Um, <laughs> all right, we're going to... I got to put it in my lap over here. Read it for you guys. All right. Um, all right, so... They, they have... They have... 1993's top speed was 312 kilometers per hour. A disputed somewhere in the range of between 188 to 194 miles per hour, like cited, you know, by different sources at the time. Um, from 2000 to the present, the thing is good for 299 kilometers per hour, which is 186 miles per hour. And so that places it at 1999. You're... I'm going to say that was its uh, debut year. Yep, since 1999. So, let's read this article. I won't even start another tune. Suzuki Hayabusa from Wikipedia, the free encyclopedia. There's your free plug, Wikipedia. The Suzuki Hayabusa, or GSX 1300R, is a sport bike motorcycle made by Suzuki since 1999. It immediately won acclaim as the world's fastest production motorcycle with a top speed of 303 to 312 kilometers per hour. In 1999, fears of a European regulatory backlash or import ban. Okay, so there was maybe the threat, a looming threat of, you know, this bad reputation of these dangerous cross rockets. Maybe they're going to ban them. 
Right. Uh, that was some backstory that goes into that. They're like, Led- you gotta, they're appealing to the national pride. They're like, look, guys, here we go. You're getting a bad rap. Like, stupid Europeans are riding these things and killing themselves. Like, you Westerners, gotta, you, you yes, gotta tone Westerners it down. are, they you lack, know, we need to keep them buying these things. They lack not discipline, so, you know, we gotta just so put a cap on it. Yeah, so that's, you know, there you go. So there's a little bit, I'm sure there's a little bit, uh, more of the philosophy behind why this uh, may have occurred. <laughs> um, so it says here, led to an informal agreement between the Japanese and European manufacturers to govern the top speed of their motorcycles at an arbitrary limit. The media reported value for the speed agreement in miles per hour was consistently 186 miles per hour, while in kilometers per hour it varied from 299 to 303 kilometers per hour, which is a typical given unit conversion rounding errors. This figure may also be affected by a number of external factors, blah, 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 blah. All right, so um, do they see even here they don't talk much more about it, but they do say the conditions under which the limitation was adopted led to the 99 Hayabusa's title remaining at least technically unassailable since no subsequent model could go faster without being tampered with. After the much-anticipated Ninja ZX-12R of 2000 fell 6 kilometers per hour short of claiming the title, four miles per hour, by the way, the Hayabusa secured its place as the fastest standard production bike of the 20th century. So the, the Ninja, uh, that ZX-12R was a, they already had a ZX-12, and then they came out with the R trying to come after the yeah, Ninja. Extra yeah. letter makes it faster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> didn't do it. Um, so anyway, but so that's the thing, like the 2000s and onward were slightly restricted themselves, even the Hayabusa, you know, even the Hayabusa. So, um, everybody, by the way, says that's a really comfortable and cool motorcycle to ride. So I'm, I'm excited to, I'll score one, one of these days. We'll have a Hayabusa one day. They're so um, legendary. You gotta, own gotta it try it out. Gotta try point. it out. Gotta try it out. So, um, JJ, it's a beautiful day out there. It certainly is. Uh, and I am still enjoying your company. I think we should go uh, rummage for more beverages or refreshments here in the house and head back down to the yard, get that uh, beastie loaded for you. Absolutely. Um, give everybody back there a day and afternoon because I'm sure it's a perfectly sunny day wherever you are right now in the middle of the afternoon in Seattle uh, in springtime. But uh, that's where we are anyway. So um, I'll just suspend my own disbelief. Uh, like you hopefully have for a little while while we talked about the agreement, um, which I don't think is necessarily fiction, so there's no uh, disbelief to necessarily suspend. Uh, not much of a uh, conspiracy either as far as those go, other than the fact that nobody can substantiate from whence the agreement really came. Did it come from the prime minister, or did these guys just figure this out themselves out of a sheer you know, spreadsheet, bottom line, you know, recognition that they were getting maybe a few lawsuits or something coming back their way, eyeballing them, and I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, anybody has any ideas about that, actually? That would be great to share with us, you know. Uh, give us any insight you have on that, That, uh, as a matter of fact. Um, that would be really fun. So, uh, And, yeah, it's just a bonus episode, so hopefully if you made it this far, your expectations were just to hang out and, and smoke out and chill with us. Uh, cause that's what you got. So, and yeah, I'm hoping that the 
sound is even good enough to use it. Uh, we got and only a very, very small drop-off in the middle there. So, ah, 45 minutes of shenanigans. But we told two stories, so. Yeah. And everybody got to meet JJ. So uh, maybe you can come back. I would love to come back and uh, talk about some of the stuff that I also mentioned. Like, So JJ can chop it up philosophically with the best of them, and that's what we did all the time at work. So um, we could uh, vibe on... The Psychonauts, like I mentioned today, um, and by that I'm talking about like uh, people like Terrence McKenna oh, yeah. and other famous, uh, uh, well, we have his uh, brother who is still with us today, Dennis, uh, and uh, then um, I think he's not known for, is Paul Stamets known for using actives? He, he isn't, right? He's more the food guy, the, the mycologist uh, master. Um, I'm not familiar oh, with, he's big uh, too. with his he's work. He's really big. I'll, I'll point you at him. He's really okay. smart. He, he really he knows a lot. And, but I think a lot of the talks that I've seen of his have been really straight talks. So he's not worried about those magic mushrooms because, you know, people know how to find them. They know how to use them. So I think he's more about the whole big picture uh, with fun, fungi. So Nice. I'll have to do some homework before our next episode. Yeah. And, I mean, and that's not, you know – the only stuff those guys were about remotely is um, psychoactives. Although, well, you know, a lot of a lot of what they were about was talking about what psychoactives and, uh, in particular, um, things like whether you call them magic mushrooms or psilocybes or um, whatever you know, modern term, uh, what entheogens. Um, you know, the, these days mushrooms are pretty pedestrian. Acid is pretty pedestrian. People are fucking around with stuff like DMT, and I'm not even getting close to that on this show anytime soon, you guys. Nobody's, nobody's <laughs> sitting in this room is about to go on a DMT trip. I'll tell you that right now. Um, uh, but probably yeah. would not be able to make very much interesting commentary. I think I'd be a mess. Well, on DMT, I hear there's vomiting involved. In no, that no, that's uh, that's never been my experience. With that, you've fucked with it. Yeah, just a little bit. Have you smoked it? Or yeah. you drank the tea? Or how does that work? No, I, um... Unbelievable, you guys. I didn't know. <laughs> Breaking news! Hey, but, well, do we want to save this for another episode? I don't know. It seems like you were in the middle of a wrap-up. We're up. at 49 minutes. We were wrapping up. That's good. So we could foreshadow it. There we go. Yeah, there's all um, sorts all of right, so you know what? future discussion topics. There you go, you suckers. You guys don't get to know today. You have to come back. When JJ comes oh, back I've got all sorts time. of colorful stories. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to call everybody suckers either. I <laughs> respect everybody listening to the podcast, and I totally appreciate you guys. So <laughs> fucking, you know, I just get, I'm on one right now. I've smoked a couple of doobies. Probably going to take a dab and go down to the yard, so. <laughs> up. And next time. You need, you need a break. You've been talking to the yeah, people for exactly, too long. Exactly, we, exactly. And they don't want to talk anymore. They want to go. They want to go too. Um, but yeah, we will we'll come back and and talk about all that kind of stuff. I want to hear about those. I want to hear about those experiences. Right. Maybe you could tell me a little bit about it today, and we'll come back and talk about it on the mic. Yeah, together. Sounds good. All right, everybody. Uh, you know what to do. Smoke indica. Do shit anyway.